Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic, the liquor lady. Well, at least that's what we call her. That's really not her name, but this is a sweet story. Here's Lane. She pulls up to the liquor store by 10 a.m., clutching a zippered pouch for the receipts wearing pearl earrings and sandals that won't slip on the slick floor. Morning, she calls to her two sons and whoever is already shopping. Morning, Mom, they reply. Even the customers call her Mom. Josephine Valente, 96, walks beneath the light-up Budweiser wagon, past the statue of Jack Daniels, along the wall of wine. At the Corona palm tree, she turns left. She used to stop there and stand behind the cash register for 10 hours a day, six days a week. She's been a clerk, she says proudly, for 80 years. This last month, her grandson has been begging her not to go to work. Her granddaughter gave her a yellow mask and made her promise to wear it wherever she goes out. And her sons have relegated her to the tiny office by the front door of Pasadena Liquors, behind the plexiglass shield. Valenti knows that her age puts her in the highest risk category with COVID-19. She understands why everyone is worried about her. But I'm not scared, she keeps saying, at least not for me. She doesn't have to work, not for the money. But since liquor stores are essential businesses and people are buying more booze than ever, there are receipts to tally, ledgers to fill out, deposits to make. What do you want me to do instead, she asks. Stay in my house and dust knickknacks? Her parents immigrated from Italy to Pennsylvania in the early 1900s. Her father was a stonemason. Her mother raised 11 children during the Depression. Josephine was the seventh. She stopped going to school after eighth grade to help take care of her siblings. At 17, she got her first paying job. We lived in Bakerstown, a coal mining town. Our house was right across the street from the company store, she said. The owner was impressed with my bookkeeping. When soldiers started coming home from World War II, she started spending Saturday nights at the American Legion. There, she ran into John Valente, a master sergeant in the army who was four years older, who said he'd helped defeat Hitler. His family ran a produce stand in the neighboring town. They got married in 1948 on a Wednesday, the only day the produce stand closed early. Of course, she helped with the family business. I never wanted to not work, she said, and I always enjoyed working with John. Before their boys were born, the couple managed a convenience store in Hastings, Pennsylvania. In 1964, they followed her sister to Florida and bought a bar called Berkey's Tavern in St. Petersburg. Her older son, Jim, 70, remembers his mom dropping him off at baseball practice, then heading to manage the bar. Her younger son, Bob, 66, said she was always there for them, but always worked late. Even on Sundays when the bar was closed, his parents would go there to clean. It was never about owning a bar, she said. No one in her family is a drinker. It was about owning a business that made people happy and would pay off. 
With produce, you have a short shelf life. You lose a lot of inventory, she said. Liquor never goes bad. In 1968, while their sons were still in school, she and her husband bought a liquor store in Seminole. They sold it in 1976 and used some of the proceeds to send their boys to college. They also took their first real vacation to Italy. Then we started worrying about our boys. What would they do, she said. What would our grandkids do? So she and her husband bought a paint shop, 600 square feet on a two-lane road to the Quarry Causeway. They turned it into Pasadena Liquors in 1980 and eventually grew it to include 6,200 square feet. They added Valenti's Lounge on the back, then a sprawling wine cellar on the front. Valente learned all the customers' faces and drinks and most of their names. She knew when they were celebrating anniversaries and graduations, when they were having company. She sold champagne to christen boats and babies. When her husband got cancer in 1988, Valente cared for him for two years. Weeks after he died, she was back behind the cash register. Mama's always taking care of everyone, said Jim. That's what she does. That's why people love her. There are liquor stores across the street now on two corners at Winn-Dixie and Publix. But every day, people still stop in here to see mom. In that cramped office two steps above the store floor, Valente adds receipts from the day before, logs credit card purchases, subtracts taxes, records everything in a skinny black Sharpie and writes slanting handwriting in a green ledger. On shelves above her, identical books date to 1968. To her right, there's a computer she never turns on an adding machine she only uses to check herself after calculating everything twice in her mind. Around her, on every wall, faded photos smile. There's John at the Seminole store beside a sign offering a half gallon of scotch for $4.99. There's Jim playing over 40 league baseball, yellowed obits of old friends, and all seven of her grandkids, portraits from kindergarten through college. Thanks to the family liquor store, they all have degrees and careers. And no one wants to run this place, she says, which is fine. I'm still here. At 12.30, she folds all the receipts into the black pouch and drives to the bank. Her driver's license, she brags, is valid for six more years. My friend Marianne, she's only 90, but she needs someone to drive her, Valente says. The bartender would pick her up on her way here every day, and she'd get a hot dog and a bud bottle. We'd always have a chat. But now that the bar's closed, she can't get here. I miss her. While Jim carries boxes of rum to a minivan and Bob bags tequila and margarita mix at the counter, she cashes payroll checks for customers who don't have bank accounts. Here you go, my dear. Wait, is that it? She asks the woman after counting out $277. The woman who works as a maid has been cashing her checks at the liquor store for years and usually that's $500 a week. With the coronavirus, she tells Valente, more people are home and so many are scared. Few folks want their houses clean. I worry about you, Valente says. Let me know if you need anything. An hour later, another woman comes into the store calling, Hiya, Mom, where are you? Valente waves from the office. Donna Royster and her husband walk to the window. We're getting Crown Royal to drop off for birthday presents since we can't celebrate here, Royster says. She's 70, a regular at the lounge. We're all in a group text every morning, 20 of us or more trying to stay close. Without this place, without you. Royster and her husband, Ike, 72, celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary at Valente's. When we moved here, we didn't have any friends, she says. Here, we found a big family. As the clock nears 2 p.m., Jim asks, all right, mom, you almost ready? She isn't. An hour later, Bob prods again. You're getting close here, mom? Time to go. Valente's lived alone for the last 30 years. She doesn't take any medications except aspirin. 
She can't remember the last time she saw a doctor. She counts down the weeks until her next great-grandchild is born. At the end of each day, her sons have to make her leave the store. I cook, I clean, sometimes I have a glass of Zinfandel while I watch the news, she says. But I already washed the sheets, flipped the mattress, did what I have to do this week. If I died tomorrow, it would be fine. I've lived my life. For weeks, her sons, grandkids, and customers have been telling her to stay home. She keeps telling them, I am. I'm still struck by the 96-year-old who flips her own mattress. <laughs> That's what her sons said they were most worried about her. <laughs> um, so a lot, of, a lot of nice things in this story. But uh, So talk first, Lane. Was it this, this story came up at one of our enterprise meetings enterprise team meetings, um, Lane always comes full of ideas, and um, you had been to pick up some booze. <laughs> I think, do you think we talked about this story earlier, like in the year, and there was no real hook? I like, I go, I go shopping at this liquor store, so I've seen this lady, and I've, I've chit-chatted with her for years and years, but I didn't really know her story. I didn't know exactly how old she was. Um, and then I got an email from a former um, colleague who said, hey, do you know Miss Valente at Valente's Lounge is 96 years old and she's still in there, you know, working through the coronavirus. So I just took an excuse to go buy some more wine and chatted her up and uh, met her and her two sons that day. And I think that was what I pitched to you. It was like, she's still in there every day. Which is like, you know, so 96, um, during the pandemic, still working, um, a lot of great tension there. So it was like, okay, yeah, good time to go. Um, and that she was receptive, right? The guy and her sons were thrilled. Her sons were so excited. And I liked, too, that it wasn't just a, a liquor store, you know, where you walk in and walk out, that they had this little lounge and they had this family of regulars um, mostly very elderly people that would come there every day. And that was sort of their touchstone. Um, and, and now that was gone too. So I kind of like that other layer of like, she, she's with her family still, but she's missing this other family. Um, Lane, can you talk a little bit about your approach in reporting a story like this, like when to watch and when to interview? How'd you break that down? Yeah, so especially for a, a little story like this, um, I just, I usually want to have two parts, right? So I want to be able to sit down and interview somebody in a com have a conversation for an, at least an hour or two, and then I want to watch them work. So that was kind of how I pitched it to her. I met her one afternoon um, in the store as she was getting off work about two o'clock. I think I hung out till four, four thirty. We sat in a little empty lounge in the back, socially distanced, you know, apart from this table. And um, she had her mask on, and we and she just kind of I tell me the story of your life. You know, I just had her walk me through pretty much, um, and then. The next day, I think it was the next day, I came back and I, I wanted to get there, like just have a day in the life. So I got there when she got to the store and I stayed until she left the store. And that day I, I didn't, I talked to her some between customers or to, you know, to um, follow up questions on things I was witnessing or whatever, but mostly I let her work and I just kind of walked around the store and I chatted to her sons and, and um, other customers and stuff. So it was like a, you know, a couple hours sit down interview and then 10 to three about um, hanging out in the store. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I think um, it's important. I know we've said this before in the podcast, but when you're out reporting, um, you know, if you have the luxury of time where you could do an interview and then you could come back and be a fly on the wall, that's great to do. But even if you're doing it all in one day, if you can still break up the day where you, you interview them and then you try to watch them and not interrupt them so that you get some of that flow of that day. And then if you have questions, you can follow up and ask questions later. Right. Um, yeah. You really, I mean, I find that I really have to like tell them like, stop talking to me, ignore me, you know, like <laughs> because they want to accommodate you, you know, they, they want to know what else can I do? What else do you need? What other questions do you have? And I just want to say, pretend I'm not here, you know, do your thing so that I can see what it would be like. Um, and it's, you know, same thing with the photographer was there. John was there with me, you know, for most of that day, um, too. So we had to keep, they kept wanting to show us things. Come here, come here, you know, let, let's show you this stuff. And we were like, can we just let the day unfold, you know? And there weren't a lot of people um, coming in because most people were getting curbside pickup, you know? So it, it was not like a steady stream of traffic through the store. It was a lot, a lot of downtime. Or delivery, right? Like there was an independent living place that wanted delivery <laughs> where my and where my mother happens to live. Yes, your mom can get booze delivered now. <laughs> um, I want to point out, I said, I'd like to, you know, there are moments in your stories where I think um, uh, it, it really, again, goes back to the reporting. And we talk a lot about that. But if you don't come back with the reporting, um, you can't bring it to life quite, quite the same way. And in this story, you, you, you're focusing on this woman who does the books. And I was struck by how you, in one graph, gave me a look at her, 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 what she does, her patterns and things like that. And, and so you had, you know, you have her taking the receipts, you have her logging the purchases, subtracting taxes, recording everything. And you, so these are the things that she does, but then you went the step further, I think, to, to describe how she does it. And so not only, you know, the, that she's writing with a Sharpie, that it's this right slanting handwriting and it's a green ledger, right? you You've talked a lot about how you you take those next steps in the reporting, the next question and another question and to go deeper. And I'm just wondering if that's become second nature to you. I mean, are you looking at her and thinking, okay, she's an accountant. I need to see her books. I need to write down what she's, you know, what's there. Yeah, I mean, I think Tom French, I know we've quoted him on this podcast before. He talks about vacuuming the scene. And so I'm trying to, when I'm in somebody's, presence, especially in the, their office, you know, or their bedroom or their place where they live their lives, everything around them, I feel like is part of the story. And I don't ever really know like what I'm going to need to use or, or what I'm not going to need to use. I had a lot more details about uh, Jim's baseball playing career because he wanted to talk about that. And she has all kind of trophies and, you know, photos of teams they sponsored over the years. So I had a lot of that that I ended up taking out of the narrative because it wasn't really about her. It was about him. But yeah, I, I wanted to know, you know, we've got this adding machine here. I never once saw her hit the adding machine. And I love the detail that she could do this in her head. You know, I'm so not a math person. And here's this 96 year old lady, you know, adding thousands and thousands of dollars of receipts in her head. And uh, so I thought that spoke to who she was and what she was doing a lot, you know. And the fact that the, you know, you look in the office was super duper cluttered, but you look behind her and all the ledgers match, you know, everything on the shelves. She's used the same style of ledger since 1968 or whatever. And I, I love that detail. I 
think, you know, I, I, I get frustrated sometimes with stories where I feel like people come back with a lot of quotes from somebody, but not doing that, not sort of giving me the context or, or kind of showing me what they do, as opposed to just having them tell me what they do. So um, it's always it's always nice to, to have those details. Um, I was going to say, so we we both like these quick turn kind of stories, and we probably don't embrace them enough as a as an industry. But uh, I think part of it is that we we kind of we miss it. We miss ideas. We we miss things that we see every day. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you still do that because you're you still paying such close attention to the world around you. <laughs> how, how do you. I mean, it's like, what do you do? Like you're driving around and you're just constantly like, uh, it's, it's clicking for you that there's stories out there? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I err on the side of like, everything has a story, you know, everybody has a story. And I'm lucky enough to have you who trust me after this time to say, hey, you know, give me an hour. I feel like I can tell after an hour whether it's gonna be worth it. And 95% of the time it is, you know, I don't feel like I punch very often. Sometimes I, I turn and it's not the story I set out to tell, um, but there's something there, you know, and the coronavirus has, you know, made us all rethink how we're telling and showing these stories. And I think in normal times, I would have said to you, hey, I want to go home with Miss Valente. You know, I want to see her house. I want to see her mattress that she flips. I want to go to church with her every day she goes to church. She was. She's not doing that now. Um, but, you know, I think I would have tried to expand it a bit into her life. Um, she had a lot more about her family and her brothers and sisters she wanted to talk about. But having to focus just on the store, on this little tiny window of time, you know, one day in the life, not even a day in the life, one day in the store, right? Um, I didn't I didn't ask her about what she had for breakfast. I didn't ask her what she did when she went home. Um, but having it framed like that, I think, really made it easier to contain it. And it was probably more powerful than if I'd gone other places with her that didn't have anything to do with the liquor store, you know? Yeah, and, there, and, and, it, and it's okay to do that. You know, you don't need, I mean, like the, the whole point of the story to me was her and her element in this moment. Like she didn't want to be out of her element. That, that's where she was comfortable and that's where she felt she was being purposeful and doing something meaningful. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like in a way it, it, it does help because all those other things, I mean, you, it wasn't, you weren't trying to do a full-fledged profile of this woman. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people could relate to, you know, I mean, I was thinking about that too, like, I'm not 96 years old, but I miss being in the newsroom, you know, I, I miss that second home, that second identity, those conversations, and I think a lot of us who are displaced, even if we're still working, you know, those kind of, uh, our other family connections are gone, and yeah. so I think a lot of people could relate to that. Yeah, her 90-year-old friend who had to be driven. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, I actually got a call from the 90-year-old friend's daughter who said, Is, my mom's okay. <laughs> I read about her in the paper. She's fine. She just can't come to the bar. So, <laughs> um, we, this, this story, we did talk a little bit about, um, you know, we, we worried, I guess, that she would get some grief, um, you know, because here she is 96, and there's so many people who are worried about the elderly and feeling like they, they especially are, are at risk, of course. Um, and I, I did worry that she'd get some grief. Um, and then we ended up with some pictures where um, we had a little debate about this too. We had a picture of her where she wasn't wearing a mask. She did have pictures where she was wearing masks, but the one where she wasn't, you could see her smile and you could see her, you know, kind of light up. And um, we had a whole debate about whether we use the picture without the mask because are people going to be 
unkind and critics criticize her. Um, anyway, I don't think she did end up getting a lot of grief, right? As far as you know? Not that I know of. And I, I did raise that issue with her. You know, I, <laughs> I kind of always tell my people like, the commenters can be a little mean, you know, like if, if you see comments you don't like, don't take it personally, you know, and I guess we don't have comments right now. Um, no, we take them. That's one of the pandemic, uh, <laughs> like there's no time to, to, to play a uh, uh, policeman on the comments. So yeah, we dropped the comments. Yeah. So I was kind of relieved about that. She didn't have to hear it. If anybody was out there criticizing, they didn't email it to me or she she didn't hear anything. That guy went, I went back the next day and took him some a stack of papers and said she had gotten a ton of positive feedback and she said nobody was mean. <laughs> so <laughs> that was good, you know. She actually um the best thing that came out of like I, I got a bunch of emails too from readers who just really liked the story. You know, they just like to see an old lady out there dutifully working through this pandemic. Um and they liked her personality and I think they like Italians or a lot of people who were actually I got three or four people who emailed me why didn't I put her maiden name in which I wish I had done because they went they were from you know outside of wherever the, you know, in Pennsylvania and they want to know if they were related to her you know and then the best um, to her at least the best fallout was this couple who lives in um, Sun City Center which is about an hour north of here called and said are you Josephine Columbus by any chance and she was like why, yes, I am. And they came to the liquor store and brought her lunch and sat and had coffee with her. And they had known her mother and her sister way back in Ohio, way back in the 50s. And so she got to rekindle this like familiar connection with her, her people, you know. And so that was pretty cool. She was very excited to have a new friend who, who lived close enough to come visit. You know, I, that was one thing about seeing um, her face in the paper and, and you know, having, having a focus on someone who's 96. Um, I, I was thinking later on that it, we don't really write about, it's like young and old <laughs> escape us a lot of times, you know, right. like, or, or they are categorized and bunched into, um, you know, certain kinds of stories like, you know, okay, well, Florida's full of old people. And so nursing homes and yeah, stuff, hospitals, homes yeah. And, and them as individuals and their stories. And I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it was interesting to see her in the middle of this pandemic, but it was also interesting to see the life they'd built. I mean, just from working hard all those years and, um, you know, putting a spotlight on that um, and giving her this identity that, uh, you know, then you think about everybody who's not, who's, who's made it to that age. I mean, they have those kind of life stories too. So that was nice that they got that reaction. I don't write, you know, a lot of business stories either. And it made me think about how, you know, I'm out in the world all the time chasing stories and meeting new people and seeing new things and doing things. And their whole world is so contained to this one store, like the view hasn't changed since 1968 or whatever, you know, but the world comes into them. And that was really interesting for me to think about that. Like the whole world is contained in this one store, but in and out of those doors comes all kinds of life, you know, that they make connections with. So that, that was an interesting perspective. So if things had been different, of course, we probably would have recorded this episode at Valenti's Lounge on the back porch there. But, you know, we'll do it someday. We'll go back there and do it someday. Um, Live from Valenti's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Or find us on our Facebook group. We're getting close to a thousand uh, folks on that group, and we'd really love to hit it. 
Um, join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Allison Graves. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. That was really good. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.